Welcome to the Niche Enrollment Insights Podcast. In this podcast, our goal is to focus less on the promise of best practices, instead look at the processes and questions that spark internal reflection and lead to novel solutions tailored to your institution. I'm Will Patch, Senior Enrollment Insights Leader for Higher Ed at Niche, and my guest today is Angie Cooksey, Assistant Vice President for Enrollment Management at Bradley University. Angie's been at Bradley since 2007, starting as an admissions counselor, then a regional admissions counselor, then director of admissions, and then finally her current role. Among other roles and hats that she wears, she's also been involved in Illinois ACAC's Middle Management Institute and Elevate, uh, which I'm, I'm going to ask her about a little bit later here too, because I think that's an awesome program that hopefully others start mimicking. She's also the host of the new Elevating Mission Voices podcast, so give that a listen. Today, we're going to be talking about professional development and growth within enrollment and missions. Welcome. Thanks for making time to chat today, Angie. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. This is one of my favorite topics. Okay, great. And, <laughs> and this is something that I keep seeing there's more and more need for it, that there's, yeah. we'll wait and we'll dive into a little bit, but this is something I'm, I'm really passionate about. I don't see, I just worry about the future, I guess. But yeah. yeah, so I guess first off, what's something you've tried that didn't work and what did you learn from that? I think the idea of professional development and staff training and staff development if we look at it in a linear fashion of it all has to be the same, it all has to work to be successful, then we set ourselves up for failure in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I think of, and when I was reflecting kind of on this question of what did I try that didn't work, in some cases, I'm okay that stuff didn't work um, because I've learned that we have to pr- approach professional development as an individual thing for our staff. Um, Mm -hmm. I think particularly when we think of onboarding with new staff, it's so much easier to have a one-stop, this is the manual, here's the book, figure it out. Like, this is what we do. Everyone gets the binder. (laughs) Yeah, here's the binder, right? We all have the big binder. And, And not to say that we don't have that at Bradley, we certainly do. But that our training does look different every time that we do it uh, because we have different staff and they Mm -hmm. come to us with different experiences and different interests. And if we don't make time in that training, when they first onboard them to give them space, I don't know that we set up a good precedent to show them that they've got their valued in our organization from the time that they start. And so I know that that's not a super direct answer to your question of like, what did I try that I failed at? But it is learning that I think that's been really valuable for me as a as a leader to know, hey, what I thought was going to work didn't, and that's okay. And let's just pivot and try something different. Yeah. And I love that, that you start out with, you can't assume that everything is going to be successful. Yeah. I think a lot of people have fear of that, right? And when you're setting up a process or a training or something, well, this is going to work. This, this worked for that last group. You're giving yourself permission to tweak and fail. And I think in a lot of ways, COVID kind of gave us, I I like to think of, try to find the benefits, right, of COVID. Um, There's not a lot. (laughs) But I think one of the things that it gave our field in particular is it forced us to recognize those things. I think for a lot of us, our onboarding process probably for the last 10 to 15 years has looked exactly the same. We onboard new staff in the summer and because that's when we hired and, you know, Mm -hmm. you could see it on the job boards. Like everybody kind of posted positions at the end of May and June and you hired staff in July and then our national and state organizations had their new counselor institutes or their summer institutes mm-hmm. in July and August. And it was really this prescribed model of this is how new staff start. And then as we all navigated through the pandemic and then coming out of the pandemic and then kind of this great resignation, recognizing that we have to hire and onboard new staff at this point all year round. You can't really yeah. wait until the summer 
and fill that gap. Then you, if you need staff in February, you need staff in February. And so how are you going to onboard those staff in the depth of financial aid season versus how do you onboard staff in October when everyone's out on the road? Those have to look different. And so I think that that's been beneficial to our industry to say, what does our training have to look like to get those staff on board at different points in the process? Yeah. And that's something we, we did a survey, Jesus, probably a month ago. Now it feels, feels like less, but <laughs> uh, of, of admissions leaders and talking about, and one of the questions we asked was about staffing changes. Yeah. And when we had one person respond that they, during the course of the year, lost director, VP, and six counselors, you can't wait till summer to fill those. No. Right. How do you get them up to speed on your own? Well, also then how do we keep getting that additional value and connections from the summer institutes. Yeah. It's a tough balancing act. I don't, it is. I don't, it is. I, don't and I, the I, anymore. I think everyone's, I, I won't, I can't speak for everybody, but there's a lot of, of schools facing this right now. Yeah. Certainly a lot of the peers that I get the privilege to talk to um, in Illinois and, and nationally, this is the conversation right now. And, mm-hmm. and certainly I think, again, looking at the glass half full side of things, our field talks a lot about, access for students and professional, you know, making sure that we're looking at how are we creating pathways for our students and how are we investing in our students and how are we making, you know, equitable systems for our students. But we have Mm -hmm. to start thinking about that for our staff too, because our staff are leaving the field. And so if we're not investing in them and creating access for them to have these opportunities and looking at what that means for them as a person and investing in them, both financially and professionally and personally, our field is going to suffer mm-hmm. because we have really great professionals here. But across the board, I you know just talked to so many people and they're like, I'm hiring four people this summer. I'm hiring six. I, I've been running half staff for months. Like it's not yeah. sustainable. Yeah. What are some practices you use to brainstorm and bring new ideas into the work? If you ask anyone on my team, so I actually work remotely, which is a little bit unique in in my role. Um, I was a regional counselor for a lot of years at Bradley and then have really had the great opportunity to advance in in my position and in my career at Bradley and stay remote the entire time. So I have been remote since 2009, so pre-pandemic. So I have a commute when I come to campus. And at this point, I come to campus about 20% of the time. That's my my new number. Uh, I mm-hmm. used to have a different number. And then I reevaluated and I was like, I think I'm on campus about 20% of the time. So my drive is about three hours and 10 minutes from my house to campus. And so that's a lot of my reflection time and my ideas time. And if you ask my staff, they will confirm that in our, in our team here at Bradley because they're always like, oh, shoot, Angie's going to come and she's just going to be like, I was thinking about this. And then, <laughs> you know, and then there's if for any of you who have been um, down the lovely drive that is I-55 in Illinois, it is in the center of the state, literally and figuratively um, <laughs> right down the middle. And there's not a lot to see. It's it's cornfields and windmills and we've got a few gas stations. And so <laughs> it gives you. It gives you a lot of time to just kind of think about things. And I think, again, as I've looked at my role as a leader and and leadership in general, I find a really great joy in investing in people. And so I think about our our team all the time. And I don't say that in like any sort of like I'm amazing kind of way, but like we have a big team and we're really blessed at Bradley to have a lot of staff on our team and thinking about hey, so-and-so mentioned this in passing. What is Where can we find opportunities for them to, to look into that? Or 
gosh, so-and-so, I know that they don't like that project that they're working on. And so how can we push that someplace else? I think one of the things that's sometimes underrated in this field is the value of communication, which again, Mm -hmm. sounds bananas. Wherever you are in the funnel of of higher education leadership, whether you just started or you've been at your institution for 40 years, sharing what you want to do with who is on your leadership team is super valuable. Um, Your leadership team can't read your mind. Um, And so as much as I think and reflect and think about our team and think about projects and think about goals, if I don't know what, who you are and what you want to do, it does, it, I bring nothing to the table for you. Mm -hmm. And so I think creating space, even to just say, Hey, I have this really good idea. Like who wants to talk about it with me has been really valuable. Yeah. And that's something I think maybe, maybe staff has a little bit of a, a fear or hesitation because how often does someone ask you, what do you not want to do anymore? Yeah. Right. I, I talk to my staff and that's really funny. You, you say that I, um, when we onboard staff, Typically in their kind of second phase of training, um, we typically do this like strengths finder free assessment. It's not the actual strengths finder. Mm-hmm. Again, none of us have huge budgets, right? And yeah. so trying to find ways to do things is sometimes you have to get a little creative. And so um, there's some assessment I found online years ago and it, it, it gives us enough. It's not perfect, but it gives us kind of where we want to go. And so we have staff do that and then meet with our, our leadership team to talk about like, what are your strengths? What are the things that you really want to lean into? What are the things that you're innately really good at? Um, mm-hmm. And we keep a spreadsheet of what all of those strengths are, because I think it's really interesting to see the difference in our team, um, where those different strengths lie, being able to lean into it. Actually, today as an entire division, we're doing staff training as a division t- this week, and we invested in the official strengths finder and are having mm-hmm. somebody come in and do the assessment for our team as a division. And I, I just think that that's so valuable, but it's also valuable to know, yes, innately, what are your strengths and what are you good at? And also maybe where you're, you're not interested. And I, I think when you were talking about like telling people what you don't like to do, also recognizing for our new staff that this is a field with a lot of turnover and, and mm-hmm. letting them know like, Hey, you're going to see people come and go in this office and it doesn't mean anything's wrong with this office, yep. but this is a field where you might be here for three years and find that you're better suited in student affairs or that you really want to go to counseling or you use this mm-hmm. to get your master's degree, which you totally should like take advantage of the great things that you have access to while you have them. And that's okay. But like, while you're here, let's make sure we're giving you the tools in your toolbox to be an awesome professional in our office and then be a rock star wherever you land next. And I tell our team that all the time. And I think initially the first time they hear it, they're like, is she telling me to quit? And I was like, no, 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 I'm not. Yep. I'm not. I said, I hope you're here for 15 years. I've been here for 15 years. I've had a really awesome opportunity to continue to advance and grow and find new ways to be challenged in this work. But if that's not the place for you, let's take advantage of what you have here while we have it and then help you figure out what the next step is. And I've hired people knowing this young man or young woman they want to be in student affairs. like, And at Bradley, that's a different division. So enrollment management, we're one division and student affairs is a different division. And I know every institution is structured a little bit differently, but sometimes there's not jobs open in student affairs or there's not jobs open in housing yet or there, you know, this, that, or the other thing. And so, hey, you're, you're a young alum. You love this institution. You're going to be a rock star admission counselor for as long as I can keep you. And I, I know I'm going to hire you that the minute that student affairs jobs opens up, I'm going to lose you. And that's, a, mm-hmm. I think we have to be okay with that. Like we can't, we can't keep hiring, expecting that people are going to stay forever and then not invest in people and then be shocked when they leave. Yeah. 
You know, I, I don't think that enough people treat admissions as an entry point either, right? Mm -hmm. Because it is, I mean, think of the skill set you're getting. You, you're yeah. having hard conversations. You're oh, learning yeah. how to independently plan travel. You're managing budgets. You're doing, I mean, who else is more connected on campus than admissions to every office, right? Right. And even just like you said, having hard conversations, but even learning yeah. how to have conversations, like how to approach a faculty member who's been at your institution for 40 years to ask them a question. Mm -hmm. How to, you know, those are things... I, you know, I have staff that are like, I, I don't have a landline. I've never used a landline. I didn't grow up with landline. Like that's yeah. part of our training, how to use the phone and how to set up your voicemail. Like yeah. it's little things <laughs> like true. that, which sounds like, what do you mean? They don't know how to use the phone, but it, it's not, you know, we have to think about how much the world has changed even in the last decade. And, you know, we're all at institutions often that you know, we don't have the newest and fanciest gadgets. So we have to remember to teach yeah. people how to use the stuff we have. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, this actually segues nicely with, with staff turnovers at all levels. You know, it's just been a detriment to recruitment and, and sometimes to morale. I mean, if people don't realize that some people are leaving because this was their stepping stone to another position, that's great. Yeah. Or they're moving up somewhere else. That's great. But when you're losing friends or you're leaving, losing team members, there, there's always that little bit. You know, so what what do you see working to engage and retain staff when salaries just can't compete with roles outside of education? Well, I want to answer that, but I want to touch on the salary piece. Mm -hmm. I, I'm probably not going to make a lot of friends with this comment, but um, I think higher ed has to come to a reckoning. Um, mm -hmm. I think that, uh, and this is something that I've talked to with a lot of colleagues is, you know, in a lot of capacities, these salaries haven't changed in a really long time, but the cost of living has changed. The world has changed. There's other places that are significantly more flexible, letting people work from home. Our newer professionals often are very entrepreneurial. And so they're doing other things. They don't need often this traditional brick and mortar nine to five job with all this oversight and all this structure hmm. and quote unquote, appreciate it in the way that sometimes people expect that they, they should, which I think create sometimes that weird tension in offices of like, well, so-and-so should be here. So-and-so's door is not open or like, who cares? They're a professional. Yeah. Let them do their job. But the salary piece, this field is going to continue to lose great young professionals because there's other options that they can do that are more flexible, that are going to pay them more. And if we don't recognize that and start to make changes and make allowances, I was talking with somebody the other day often these admission counselor positions and, and the work in admissions is creating the opportunities at the entire campus. And, and right, those are often the things that institutions tout. They tout, you know, their the makeup of their student body and where their students are coming from and their diversity rates. All of those things are a result of often 90% of the work that admission counselors and the admissions team is doing. And then often that division is some of the lowest paid staff on your campus. And so I just don't yeah. think higher ed can have it both ways. You can't say we value the work you're doing because we're going to tell everybody how awesome our institution is because of the work that we're doing. And then we don't pay these people. And so, again, mm -hmm. I'm like, probably not making any friends here, but yeah. that's, uh, <laughs> I, I think it's just if we don't start saying it, it's never going to change. What you were asked of how can we invest in people without without the salaries one, I think we have to call it out. I think we have to, when we see good work, we have to say it. That's something, you know, you asked me at the beginning, what is something that I'm not particularly great at or what have I've learned? Mm -hmm. um, I am like a go, go, go person. Like I, 
keep moving and keep moving and keep moving. And so sometimes I see stuff and like in my head, I like catalog it and I'm like, oh my gosh, so-and-so did such a great job. But I didn't stop and say, hey, you did a really great work here. Mm -hmm. And people want to be seen. And so I think intentionally pausing, especially as leaders and looking around and seeing who's doing the good work. Who is making your phone calls? Because we all know that's not a glamorous gig, but like who is consistently just like on the phone, making the things happen, connecting with families, reaching out, doing the work. And certainly, yes, who's going above and beyond. It's easy sometimes to recognize those people. It's easy to give out gold stars to be like, oh my gosh, you did all this. But like, let's also recognize the people who were showing up and, and grinding it out every single day. I think that's really important and something I'm certainly working on really intentionally. Even when we just see the spark of something, when you hire new people, sometimes you just get a gut feeling, even in the interview, like this person's going to be something special. Help cultivate it. Take them out. Pause. I do a, I try to do a lot of individual things with our team members, but that takes time because especially if you have a big team, if you want to do something individual with everybody, you can't do it all in a day. It doesn't work like that. And so carving out that space to say, Hey, I'm going to be around. Do you want to grab breakfast? And, you know, going and grabbing a bagel outside of the office or stopping in and saying, Hey, you know, I saw that you did this work. It, It was really awesome. Or we've done some things recently where I've just gotten to see team members shine. And, and I was like, Hey, you were awesome at that. Do you like that? We had somebody recently who I see in them the potential to be an amazing presenter. I think they're going to be an awesome presenter. And and so I pulled them in to do some things with me. And I realized watching that process of us kind of engaging and getting them up on stage and stuff that right now where they're at, it makes them terribly anxious and it gives them a lot of stress. And so while I know I know that this person's going to be awesome at this sometime. They're not ready for it right now. And that's okay. And so it's not about taking something away or saying you're not there, but saying, hey, I know that me pushing you here is actually holding you back in a way because you're it gives you you're you're worked up about it. And that's that's not where we want to be. And so trying to like recorrect and pivot and say, okay, I know they're gonna get there eventually. What what else can I do right now that's gonna support that person? you know, we have a lot of turnover across the industry. We have to give people trust. Our team, we had a, we had a huge year of turnover at Bradley in, in our year that's never really looked like this, honestly, since I had, I had gotten hired. Um, the year I got hired, there was kind of a full turnover of our staff in 2007. And, and then this year we had really a similar thing for the first time since then. Mm-hmm. I had a whole bunch of staff who got hired in about late July, early August then we hired another round of people in um, February. And so the staff that had gotten hired in late July or early August were like, hey, we want to help with training. We want to help do all these things. And I was like, I really awesome. appreciate that. That's awesome. You've never done financial aid before. Like, I need you. <laughs> yeah. I I recognize that you want to do this and I, we're going to get you there. But right now, I need to make sure that you still have the tools to just learn how to do your job. Because it is. it takes a full year. I really believe to learn how to do this work because it's so Mm -hmm. cyclical and we're only doing pieces of it at a time. And one of my colleagues, we went out actually to breakfast yesterday and she was like, my first year, she's going into her second year. um, She's like, my first year, I just felt like I just needed to figure out what to do. Like I was just going through the motions because I was like, I have to do these things. And she's like, now I feel like I know what's coming so I can plan for it. And I think even Mm -hmm. just that shift in mentality, how do we invest in that? to help her plan 
to do better work for this year. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I love that they got so excited to help out, but yeah, yeah same me too. <laughs> Wait, let's, let's pull it back. There's things you can teach, of course, but let's also not forget that you're still learning and you, there's still, can you talk more about what Elevate is and how that might fit into this building connections and training and, and all that? So I will sh- share very candidly, Elevate itself came out of something super selfish. I had gotten to a place in in our fields, um, had been promoted to director and kind of started looking around and was like, I don't really see anything for me here. Um, and not in the field as like a profession, like I, I clearly have invested myself in being and this is my profession, but more just in a professional development kind of place. I think as an industry, we, we spend a lot of time investing in young professionals as we mm-hmm. should. But then sometimes it's like, after that year three or four, there's not a lot of other things. And, and certainly Illinois offers Middle Management Institute and, and NACAC offers AMMI. But if you've stayed longer than that and you've done those things, then you're kind of mm-hmm. like, what am I supposed to do now? And nobody teaches you how to lead some of these places. Um, and so you you sometimes you stay long enough to find yourself in these positions. And then you're like... Yeah. Um, everyone I used to look to to ask for questions, like everyone's looking at me now and I'm supposed to have the answers. (laughs) So where am I supposed to find those? Uh, And so I reached out to one of my colleagues, Courtney Wallace over at Augustana. And I said, Hey, are you thinking about these things too? Like, or am I just in my own little bubble uh, by myself? And she was like, no, I kind of feel the exact same way. And out of those conversations, Elevate was born and really intentionally serving women in our field who have more than eight years of experience and who want to stay in the field and have made this their career and having those hard conversations about what leadership looks like and what, how they can come to this leadership as a whole person, recognizing, especially as women, we often wear a lot of hats and we're navigating life at home and life with aging parents in a lot of capacities Mm -hmm. and recognizing that, you know, are we looking to move up? Are we what does that look like when we're having young children and, you know, all of those conversations that sometimes you just can't have in other spaces um, because there's just not time or they're not made for that space. And so that's what it is. We're, we're in our second cohort. We launched um, our second cohort last week and it's just, Mm -hmm. it's truly such an awesome thing to just have space to have those conversations. And so I would say what I've learned out of that is if you're in a similar position, bring it up Mm -hmm. and, and be bold enough to say, Hey, I think we need this. And, And in some ways, Somebody will help guide you to something that already exists. And I think that's amazing because there's really great resources in our field. And sometimes people will be like, you know what? Yeah, we need that. And you get to be the impetus for something that's going to serve in this moment of time. And I don't know that Elevate will be around forever. I hope that we get to a place where it's something that maybe we have these conversations organically all of the time and it's not needed. But in this moment, it's meeting a need for the women that are, are participating in it. And I think that that's really important. I'm not somebody who's afraid to just reach out and ask. And so, again, as you move in this pipeline of leadership, there are fewer and fewer peers at your own institution who are often at your level and title-wise, not in any sort of other kind of way. Um, I learn a massive amount from people whose title doesn't look anything like mine, and I think that that's super important. Mm -hmm. Titles mean something to somebody in some capacity sometimes, and, and they'll look sometimes and be like, oh, this is your title. So... And you do sometimes have to then be cognizant to reach out 
outside of your institution to find people that are able to have those candid conversations with you because you do get to a place sometimes where it's probably not appropriate to have some of those conversations with people on your team, whether because they report to you or they report to people that report to you or you're reporting now to the most senior person. Like Mm -hmm. you have to find a place. And so, gosh, I don't know, maybe coming 2021-ish, I reached out to some of my friends at other institutions that kind of had similar position responsibilities. And I don't say titles because I think titles are kind of irrelevant in some ways in our field. Like what's an admission counselor at one institution is an assistant director at another institution is an assistant dean at another institution. And so I was kind of looking at like having known some of these people for a while, like, hey, no, that person's responsibilities look a lot like my responsibilities. And so I just reached out to some of those people and I was like, hey, would you all like to just like have a super casual Zoom like occasionally where we can just have space to just like talk about staff challenges and talk about the things that are like, is this frustrating anybody else? And is anybody seeing this win? And like, how was that working at your institution? And so we set it up. We actually haven't done it in a while. So now that I say this, I'm like, I should do that again. But we had it on the calendar for like once a month for months and it was a drop-in thing. And if you, if it in your life, you came and if it didn't, it didn't. Mm -hmm. And it was awesome to just be able to be like, oh, other people are navigating this and this is something other people are going through. And like, hey, today was exhausting. Is anybody else exhausted? And so I think that that's my, been my biggest thing over the last 18 months or a year as I've moved into my my new position is really just not being afraid to ask for help, whether that's from your direct supervisor, whether it's from your team to be vulnerable and say, hey, I need somebody else to talk to about this and, and mm-hmm. finding people to do that. You cannot shoulder this stuff alone in this field, especially as you get into those senior level leadership positions. There's a lot of responsibility. We're responsible for institutional goals and we're holding responsibility for our team members and our staff. We're caring for the people that are on our teams. And that's an emotional weight that we also don't talk about. Like who's helping carry the emotional weight of your team when you're tired? And how can you make sure that you're still filling yourself up? Because you don't serve as your best self if you're not filling yourself up too. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe this lands, maybe this doesn't. One of the ways I always think of of an admissions office or, or department division is that it's like a pyramid with a very wide base. You have a lot of roles at the bottom. And there's just not a lot of opportunities to advance in the sense of title, of responsibilities sometimes. How are offices cultivating these opportunities other ways? I would love to say I have like some magic bullet to be like, this is what we should do. Yeah. I don't. I don't think anybody okay. does. Um, <laughs> I think it, it comes down to one, some level of transparency. Mm-hmm. We used to have this really prescribed, like if you've been here three years, you automatically become an assistant director. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, we kind of looked at that model and we determined that it wasn't best serving our team because we had people who, after a year, had really stepped up and were doing awesome and remarkable work. And so we were like artificially holding them in this like you're an admission counselor till year three pattern because that's the way we always did it. And then in, in the same vein, we had people who got to year three and were like, ready for my assistant director title. And we were like, what have you, what have you done where I don't even know that you want to be here? Like, Hmm. you know, and so it, it created this interesting tension in our office because it created this expectation that 
there was no way to get to an assistant director. It was merely a function of you had lasted long enough to get there. In the last couple of years, we've moved people up after a year, which has required some hard conversations because in that same capacity, there were people that we didn't change titles for. Mm -hmm. And being transparent about what that looks like and what your expectations are to move into different titles and also be transparent that, again, this is not a field where there's going to be some super glamorous salary bump that comes with some of these titles. Oftentimes, and as I've talked to other colleagues, sometimes that's, it's $1,500. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's not necessarily, and not to discount that it's $1,500, but it's not going to be life changing amounts of money to move from one title to the other in a lot of capacities in this field. Mm -hmm. And so, Hey, here's the work that we expect of an assistant director. And here's what that looks like. Okay. Now you've been an assistant director for a number of years. What does that look like to become an associate director? Because I think as I was doing my doctoral research over the last few years, that was one of the things that so many of the people that I I had opportunity to talk to struggled with, um, not even just at the newer levels of space in this field, but who had been in this field for a really long time and are like, what's next? I don't know what's next for me tell people like, this is how you get from point A to point B. And if you don't know what that is, tell them that too. And say, we should figure this out. If this is, if this is important to you, if moving up and you want to do it here is important to you, let's figure out a way to do it. And I think we all would be better served to navigate that. Cause you're right. We're, we can't have 22 vice presidents. Like that's not yeah. going to serve our institutions <laughs> well, but can we have 22 associate directors? Maybe. If we can find intentional roles and we can continue to invest in them in a way where they're continuing to grow, what's to say that we have to have this artificial pyramid that dictates what those roles are? As I said earlier, most of our titles are all fake anyway. So like, yeah. <laughs> let's figure out a system that works best within our institution to retain our people. Because that adage of like, I have to move out to move up. Gosh, why are we letting amazing people leave because we're not creating space within our institution? That seems like we're doing ourselves a disservice. Yeah. And I know it comes down like some people really want to be a director and kind of have that role. Totally. I want I want to be able to mentor and, and help do the the build strategy and all that. Okay, but there's already a director. I can't I can't replace myself with you. Yeah. Are, but are there things maybe you can give up, right? Yeah. And that's really hard. I think, well, that's the best question. I have struggled with that massively over the last year and a half, because in some ways, like you, you get to these positions of promotion and advancement because you're doing things you're really good at probably because you love doing them. So you've like found your niche, right? You're like the person that does the technology thing, or you're the person that plans events, or you're the person that, you know, is the cheerleader. And so Mm -hmm. you've cultivated those skills and you're really good at them and you get recognized for them and you get promoted for them. And then all of a sudden you're in this new position. They're like, Hey, you don't have time to do those things anymore. So you have to give them up. And it can be, well, at least for me, it was a little jarring to be like, wait, now I'm not going to do any of the things that I know I'm good at mm-hmm. because I'm going to do this new role, which I'm I'm really excited about, but I don't know how to do that role yet. So now I'm going to give up the things that I love and I know I'm good at to step into something that like, I'm not sure I'm going to be great at. That's really scary. You had asked before what was something I failed at. And honestly, it was this. One of the things I love doing is new staff training and our team trainings every year. And I realized that one of the things that I loved about it was the fact that that's where I had learned so much about this field and made connections with our our team and made connections with our institution. 
And I was doing our team a disservice by not giving that space to somebody else. And so I had reached out to one of my colleagues and I was like, hey, I I would love for you to do this, but like, I'm going to still do it. But I just want you to know that I think that you're going to be great at it someday. Just the whole conversation went poorly because of the way that I handled it. And I will totally recognize that. And I sat with it for like, I think this conversation is like on a Thursday-ish. So I sat with it all weekend and it just like kept, I was like, I, I handled this so, so badly. So I called that person the next week and I was like, I messed up. You should take this and you should run with it. And I'm going to be here if you need anything, but this is not mine. It is yours to do and it's going to be great. And it was awesome. But I had to recognize one, I messed up. And two, I had to give up something that I really loved in order to be a better supervisor for our team and in order to give our team space to grow. And it goes back to your question about like, how do we invest in people when this pyramid is really structured? You have to be able to give things up and let people do things and and try things out. And they might not do it as good as you, or they might do it way better than you. And, And both of those things are okay. Okay. I know you don't get to see my reactions and all that, but I was absolutely blown away by this. I mean, this is such a masterclass in leadership in terms of the self-awareness to say, I didn't go the way I needed to. The reflection, and then you have the adjustment followed up by actually correcting course immediately. I mean, this is something that no matter what level you're at, take something away from this, learn from it. Yeah. Something I, I wonder a lot too, we, we tend to take, okay, this person is just an awesome counselor, a great meeting with families, doing all the processing, communicating well. And then we take that person and we move them out of actually working with families and recruiting. Like, mm-hmm. is that a mistake? Is there a different, is there, is there a different route there that can keep them doing what they're doing well while still letting them advance? Yeah. I think that goes back to the idea of like, you have to know the people on your team. And you also, I believe, I don't want to like prescribe anything and make it, and let anybody be like Angie said, um, but yeah. <laughs> I believe you have to pause and get to know your team members because I think even if they don't tell you something, if you observe enough, you'll see it. And so if you've moved somebody and they were your rock star and whatever that was, and, and so as a result, you've rewarded them by completely changing their job yep. and giving them a new title and they're miserable what's to say you can't give them back their old job and let them keep their new title? Mm-hmm. Let them do the work that they're great at because that's what makes your office better. And so I think, again, that transparency and that flexibility, not necessarily two things our field is particularly great at, which does offer some sense of ambiguity. And so I, I realize that that's an interesting tension to have to navigate. Like, hey, we want to be super transparent, but we also don't know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Tell people that. And, and let yourself work through that. And I'm not saying it's easy. Like we literally navigate these conversations every day as a leadership team of, you know, how do we do that? Especially as we come up into the summer and think about, you know, staff training and staff contracts. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about admission counselors, but I don't want to discount the fact that these divisions are made up of a whole host of professionals. Mm-hmm. And so how is a division, who is in your division, first of all? Who actually reports in your division? Is your division also responsible for financial aid? Is your division also responsible for graduate admissions? Is your Are there people in your office who are doing the data processing? Those professionals are often left out of these professional development conversations. 
that's something we're working on really intentionally at Bradley. This staff training that we're doing right now is for our entire division. Like we're closing the door, we're putting a sign on it. And from the person who works the front desk to the person coordinating records to the person in financial aid who's been here for two months, we want everybody to be a part of this and everyone to do the strengths finder and everyone to have conversations about what our goals are for our office. And, you know, often we don't do a good job of including all of the professionals in our field in this conversation. Yeah. And and that was unintentional, but yeah, you're absolutely right that I keep saying admissions counselor when it's really absolutely everybody. I think we all do. I mean, I, I we're certainly guilty of it at Bradley and it took some reorganization of our division for some other of our co- my colleagues to be like, hey, in the past, we haven't felt included. And mm-hmm. I had to pause and be like, well, you were always included. Like we sent this out to everybody, but they didn't feel included. Mm-hmm. And so that's important. And so how do we reshape it to say, it's not that it's just we said it's for everybody, but it's really like we made it for everybody. How did you open up your training um, to incorporate what everyone's needs are? Did you ask what people needed? Did you give people space to have conversations? Did you mix people up so they're not just with the same people that they work with all of the time? Does everyone in your division even know everyone else in your division? Mm-hmm. Right now, I would argue probably not because everyone has had so much turnover. And so even just space, we're going to do a root beer float social this afternoon and for some managers or leaders, they'd be like, but that's not work. To me, it's the most important thing we're going to do today. Yeah. Go outside, hang out under a tree, play bags, have a root beer float, and just meet the people that are doing the work in our division, I think is going to get us so much further than some formalized, you know, this is the training that you need to know. Yeah, There's times and places for all of that. Yeah. yeah. Sitting in the same room, facing a screen, staring straight ahead is is less engaging as a group than yeah. going out and doing something fun. You actually get to know each other and and now you're comfortable calling that person, stopping by their office, emailing them because you actually yeah. know who they are. And and I think this goes right with that. Professional development doesn't have to be this big formalized thing where everyone sits in the room and they take notes and all that good stuff. What are some small ways that staff grow with either internal or external support? share resources. So one of the things that that I do personally is every Monday I have an email. Well, I haven't done it in a couple of weeks, but um, typically every Monday I send an email out to our entire division. And a lot of it is just prescribed stuff. Like here's what's coming up. Here's the calendar. Here's things that are happening. But often it's, hey, here's this article. Hey, here's this podcast. Hey, I, I read this blog and I think it might be valuable to somebody. Mm-hmm. Hey, I found this free resource. And just sharing those things out, we don't know what we don't know. And so sometimes those things, I think, especially as your title changes, all of a sudden your inbox becomes full of like other people telling you like, hey, you should know about this. Often I'm not the person that needs to know about it. That's either not my specialty or that's not my thing. But the person on my team that should know about it didn't get the email. And so Mm -hmm. even just sharing those things out, I think is really important and valuable. You would have to ask our team if they think it's important and valuable. So I I can't speak for everybody else, but I would say even just the transparency for our whole division, that's been a huge thing for us this year is just knowing what other departments are doing and championing it. Hey, financial aid had an awesome week and got out 3000 financial aid award packages people want to feel recognized. And so Mm -hmm. just doing that and calling it out, I think is super valuable. I think, again, as a field, we're really guilty of saying professional development is the big conference. We're going to check a box and like, hey, we have a budget that every four and a half years, you get to go to the big conference. What if your staff doesn't even make it to four and a half years? Okay. 
what are you going to do in that interim to invest in them? And how are you going to make sure that they want to still be here in four and a half years when you have the budget to finally be able to send them? Is there a speaker that you saw at that conference that you're like, gosh, it'd be really valuable for my team to hear that? Mm-hmm. One of the things that's remarkable about this field is how many people say yes. Mm-hmm. Hey, if there's something that I'm saying today that you're like, gosh, I wish my team would hear that, give me a call, invite me to your staff meeting, and I'll zoom in and like have this conversation with your team. I've done that with people. We I have reached out and I'm like, hey, can you come, can you come talk to our team? Zoom changed the world. Like, yeah. you know, virtual events. We don't have to fly people into our campuses in central Illinois anymore. This amazing professional in Texas is doing these awesome things. Let's bring him in for 20 minutes to our staff meeting and give everyone on our team exposure to the things that he or she is talking about. We can think about this in different ways and it doesn't just have to be the big conferences. I think with this, you get to go to the big conference at four years. It feels a lot like the time-based promotions too, right? You're awarding people for sticking around (laughs) instead of of saying, well, this, this person at two years is just absolutely awesome. They would get so much from going to XYZ conference. Let's get them there then. And maybe someone at four or five years is doing enough little side things on their own that maybe they wouldn't get as much from going to yeah. that big conference. And I, not to completely go a different direction, but on those big conferences, how do you help prepare your staff to go? And then what yeah. do you do when they get back? Because again, if all we're doing as a field is checking the box to say, Hey, I sent you to this conference. Mm-hmm. Your team's not getting anything out of that. Your professional might be the only person from your institution at that big conference they might be a new professional who doesn't know anybody in the field and they're walking into a room with mm-hmm. 4,000 people. That is terrifying. How are we preparing people to walk into this? Who can we reach out to at that conference that we know is going that is you know, a professional colleague to say, hey, I'm sending two of my team members. Are you going to be there? Could you just see if you could connect with them? Just give them a touch point. Mm-hmm. Those are little things that take time and you have to like, create space to do it. But those are things I think that can look like professional development too, because then you're also sharing your network with people and you're giving them the tools to be able to utilize what they're getting at the top the conference. Like you said, just sitting, looking at a screen, if they don't know how to process any of that, if they don't know what that means for your office, they're not getting anything out of it. And now all of they've done is gone to a really expensive hangout for four days. Yeah. I don't know how many places are actually doing that you know, prepping people for here's what to expect. Here's how to, to evaluate sessions. Here's how to take notes and and connect with other people. I mean, I've been around for quite a while and just going to, I just came back from Slate Summit, coming, going to something that's 3,600 people is intimidating still. Oh yeah. I mean, mean, even have, I mean, you and I have been in this field for a while. Like I get super intimidated, even going to Illinois ACAC where Mm -hmm. I've been lucky to be super involved. Like just walking into that, you're like, Oh, I forget. Like this year, the first year we were in person again, I was like, this yeah. is, this is intimidating. Like there's a lot of people here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's been two and a half years since I had been in a room with much of anybody and yeah. now, Hey, let's cram a bunch of people into. Right. Into, it's totally let's, fine. It's all fine think. now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, how can leaders help? And I think this goes back to, to elevate probably how can leaders find cohorts to support each other in their own growth? I really believe that you got to ask. You have to raise your hands. Um, I've been so lucky in this field where I truly feel like I've been able to learn new things every single year that I've done it at the same institution. 
which is why I, when I have the privilege to talk to new professionals, encourage them to challenge themselves to look at how they can learn in this field differently. Like, hey, if you're getting bored with something, look around and see if there's something else that you want to do. But in the same capacity, if you're getting overwhelmed as a leader or you're, you just need support as a leader, because we do. And I think, again, recognizing that we come to this field as whole humans and some days are going to be hard. And some days are going to feel like completely overwhelming. And some days are going to be magical. I called my husband last week after I had done a, a program and I was like, I was awesome tonight. I share that not because in a like, hey, I everyone should know I'm amazing kind of way, but in a, we also need to take space to recognize ourselves when we do good work. Because if you don't, if you don't own it yourself, like you can't sit around and expect somebody else is going to come up and pat you on the head. And so if you're like, Hey, I cleaned out my inbox today and that is a huge win. And that is a huge win. (laughs) Right? Like, whatever it is, you don't have to be the person up on the stage. But, like, if you Mm -hmm. did something that is a win, figure out how you can recognize yourself for it and say, like, you know what? I'm where I'm supposed to be today. And maybe tomorrow this isn't the space you're supposed to be in. But, like, today you did really good work. And that's awesome. Also, don't be afraid to tell your boss. No. Probably don't tell your boss like every day that you cleaned out yeah. your inbox. Like it's like that's <laughs> probably like an expectation. But if you're doing something that maybe they're not seeing, or if you and your boss have super different styles, if you approach things mm-hmm. differently, whereas the leadership team reading the awards of appreciation kind of mm-hmm. that's not the title of it, but um, yeah. it's like the love not, languages for work. It's, basically. it's like love languages for work. Yeah. yeah. But I can't remember the title off the top of my head. So we're reading that as a team right now, as our leadership team. And I think it's important to recognize that like the things that you get filled up by somebody else might that not be might not be the way that they give recognition. And so Mm -hmm. being able to say like, hey, I just need you to know that I did this. And it's important to me that you know that. And that might be where it lands and that might be as far as it goes. But if you need that, it's okay to say like, hey, I want you to know that I did this. And I, I think I did a really good job at it so that we can champion each other. But I think sometimes that starts with championing ourselves. And, you know, I mm-hmm. often say to our incoming students who have to write essays, the coolest thing about writing an essay is you get to brag about yourself, right? Like mm-hmm. you can't do that really at the lunchroom table. It's not that yeah. cool. <laughs> but in an essay, you do, you get to brag about yourself and you get to say like, this is what I'm awesome at. It's okay sometimes to remind your boss because they're drowning too. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter where you are on this pipeline. Like, The person ahead of you is just trying to keep their head above water 100%. It's okay to say like, hey, I just want you to know that like I'm really excited about the work that I'm doing and this is what I I did today that I feel like is a win. And even if it's the smallest thing, like let them celebrate that with you together. Yeah. As a manager, as a leader, you you have a lot of meetings. You have a lot going on. You cannot possibly know what every single person is doing. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, Angie, I just want to say thank you so much for the time this morning. Thank you. Uh, this, I mean, this is this is something I get I get really excited about. I get really passionate about that. We need to do more to keep people engaged because it is such an awesome field, and the fact that you're impacting so many lives, and those students are going to graduate and go impact more lives. I mean, just thinking of the multiplication there is, is exciting, and yet so many people are getting burned out early. Yeah. How do we? Somebody, how do we help? Somebody that? told me recently, if your team is burned out, you have to look at yourself as a leader. And what is Hmm. happening in your team that you need to change? Because you're right. This is a field that's awesome, but it can't be awesome 24 hours a day, seven days a week and continue to be awesome. It's 
None of us get paid enough for that. Like, let's be honest, take breaks, facilitate fun, have space. Remember the moment in this work where you fell in love with this job and find ways to cultivate that and create that for your team, for yourself. Because if you're burned out, for sure your team members are burned out. And that's just not sustainable, especially when this is a field that's ultimately really fun. We're helping people find what they're going to do for the rest of their lives. Yeah, That's pretty cool. We're not brain surgeons. It's not life or death every single day. We can have some fun in this field. And I think it's going to be beneficial for all of our teams. Yeah. And thank you for this. If people want to continue the conversation, if they want to have you come and chat, what what are some ways they can get in touch with you? Yeah, I would love that. I think that having these conversations is super valuable. Um, Feel free to reach out to me uh, at my email at the university. It's just acooksy at bradley.edu. Follow me on LinkedIn. I get told a lot. People are always like, you're so transparent on LinkedIn. I'm like, I don't know. I just say what's coming out of my mind. And that's probably (laughs) dangerous for me professionally. Um, (laughs) But if you're interested in like random thoughts from Angie, I have them there often. But also, it's not just me. There's amazing professionals in this field. And so if there is somebody out there that you're like, gosh, I really like what they're doing there. You know, I think of the work that Derek Brinkley is doing at Columbia in Chicago. And, you know, as a professional, I'm like, in awe of him all the time or the work um, that Myra is doing up at Northern Illinois University or, you know, the work that Brian Hodges is doing at University of Illinois and and just tell people when you see great work, like, hey, I think what you're doing is awesome. I think sharing that out is really cool. And so if it's not me that you want to connect with, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Uh, Find somebody that you want to connect with. And, And this field is better when we build those connections. Yeah. And, and I, as someone who really struggles with that of, well, yeah, I would love to talk to this person and all that, but why would they know who I am? And they've got, they're busy. I'll, I'll, I'll do it later. Yeah. I mean, every time I actually do it, I love it. I, I get to have yeah. conversations like this. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's awesome. Yeah. Don't be afraid of your title or somebody else's title. People want to talk in this field and they'll make time for you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much and uh, have some great training. I hope everything goes well. Thanks.